you know, just to work 22 hours a day because being in front, in front of your computer typing out emails makes you feel good is the worst possible thing you could do. Matt Brown, Matt Brown, Matt Brown. This is the Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt, Matt Brown, Brown Show. Matt Brown, Matt Brown, Matt Brown Show. This edition of the Matt Brown Show is proudly brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine, South Africa's how-to handbook for starting, managing, and growing companies. In this month's issue, your free step-by-step guide to double-digit growth. And also check out one of my favorite articles from this particular edition of the magazine entitled From Zero to $780 Million in Six Years. And they explore all the tactics, planning, and aggressive growth that got it done. The third thing I want you guys to have a look at is get the single most powerful successful formula in business and that is a tee up for this particular episode and more about that in a second and one more thing why don't you guys digitally subscribe to entrepreneur magazine and you can do that on their website that's entrepreneurmag.co.za and receive the next 12 issues all the 2017 issues and a free how-to ebook, all for the low, low price of 119 rand 99 cents. Or just pick up the magazine at all leading retailers. How's it, guys? So as entrepreneurs and business leaders, being able to unlock growth is a key focus in what we do. Yet many of us are seemingly stuck in the trenches every day taking grenades and we don't get the time or space and sometimes the perspective that we need to work on our businesses so that we can identify the things that truly can 10x our value in the marketplace. So for me, principles are a great place to start. And one of those principles is the 80-20 principle. Now, the 80-20 principle is one of the most powerful success secrets in the entire world. But provided that you implement it, talk is cheap in this case. So I reached out to Bob Skinstat in London. Now, Bob is re-energizing an age-old principle by sharing a collection of real-life examples from highly successful people of 80-20 in action. And in this episode of the Matt Brown Show, we unpack the meat and the potatoes of how to implement high growth initiatives like the 80-20 principle. And we also explore powerful concepts like the marginal gains strategy used by the dominant Sky Cycling team in Europe. So without further ado, enter Bob Skinstad. So Bob Skinstad, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Matt. It's good to chat to you. Yeah, likewise, man. So um, 80-20, I think a lot of us, especially business people who, or at least have been in the business space for quite some time, and maybe even outside of the business category in and of itself, have heard of this thing called 80-20. And I just want to like talk to, I don't want to spend too much time on the principle of 80-20 itself, but just to include those kind of listeners who potentially don't know what we mean by the 80-20 principle, what's the headline there? Well, you know, it's it's a funny one, and and I'm glad we're starting there because it's a principle that, you're right, most people have heard of it, but I'm surprised by how how few people actually implement it and use it in their businesses. So the basic principle is that 20% of the things, roughly one-fifth of the things in the world that affect business cause 80% of the results. Um, and you'll find it happens in life. It's a, it's a, a universal pr- principle now accepted by businessmen and women. It, it's, it's almost like um, the, the sort of the divine number, you know, in, in nature. It's, it's almost like 
you can apply it in a million different ways and, and you will get back to the same principle. 20% of the things that you do affect 80% of the outcomes. Um, and that can work in, in, in positive and negative. So you can imagine how quickly and easily it is to, easy it is to revert back to business and look at a business and say, wow, which 20% of things make the biggest difference? Yeah. And then use those to change that business. Okay, cool. You mentioned the, uh, well, in fact, before we get into the meat and the potatoes, can you maybe share just uh, one or two stories or analogies of the 80-20 principle in action? Um, if you, by all means, pick something from sports and pick something from business, maybe just to give a little bit more context to what 80-20 can do for entrepreneurs. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I think, and, and I, I've never denied that this is a principle um, that that people have spoken about for a while. It's it's a it's a principle that that I stumbled across reading a book by Richard Koch, the author. Um, you know, million copy bestseller, eighty twenty principle. He's gone on to write um, other books like Simplify and Star Principle, all all along the same sort of lines. Basically, saying that if you can quickly and efficiently deconstruct which. 20% or which one-fifth of things in a business or in a, in a life situation are the most effective, you can have the biggest impact on the outcome. So immediately drawing back to my experiences, I was in a rugby team at that time. Uh, I worked with a coach, Alan Solomons, a very, very smart guy who'd, who'd put his, his law career, successful law career on sabbatical to, to coach rugby again because it was his real passion. And... Um, I realized when we started doing the stats of, of who was in that team and who was getting the ball, um, you know, which is one of the simple parts of, of rugby is, is possession, um, like is in, in, in football and, and any of the, the, the game sports like that. Um, when we had possession, the, the person who was getting the ball actually affected the outcome. So if we had the good, fast, strong individuals getting the ball more often. And I was lucky, you know, we played with guys like Robbie Fleck and Brayton Pulso, who went on, Percy Montgomery, who went on to tremendous careers for the Springboks. If we engineered it, that they got the ball more often, you know, if those 20% of the players in the team got the ball 80% of the time, we scored more tries. It was, it was an irrefutable fact. We, we did all the, the data and analysis and looked at it in, in the games that we played. So we actually changed our whole game plan to try and get those players to get the ball in their vital situations. You know, rugby is one of those games where it's really hard to, to implement what you, you think might be a good strategy because the game is a bit higgledy-piggledy, you know. So we, we managed to, to, from the set-piece environment, make sure that those guys got the ball and, and they scored. And, you know, we had the... I mean, it's not a great word. It's the, the, we had the winningest season. We, we topped the log in, in Super Rugby and, and nobody scored as many points as us in, in, um, in Super Rugby since. And, and because of it, and I realized, wow, this really affected our team. I then had the great privilege of getting into business, various businesses. Um, one of them was a restaurant. And, and when we took over the restaurant, the restaurant had a massive menu. Um, I started behind the scenes doing some of the data and we worked out very, very quickly that 20% of the items on the menu were what people ordered 80% of the time. We didn't have to spend a lot of time doing it. We just actually looked at um, the slips and, the, and, and managed to, to understand, to ascertain what was being eaten all the time. We realized we could throw away, you know, 
I mean, you don't want to do, go immediately and throw away 80% of your menu, but we threw, threw away around 75% of our menu and concentrated on the 20% of items that were eaten the most. It simplified our kitchen. It allowed our profits to roar through the roof and it allowed us to cut our costs immediately. So right there, literally in the first year that I came across the 8020 principle, I had been able to affect my own life in business and in sport by just applying it, applying the knowledge that I'd gained to this area that I worked in. Cool. Amazing. So why is 80-20 so important for you? And I know that you mentioned the, um, you know, the experience in both the restaurants and obviously now in the sporting context. But I mean, most people would have heard about these kind of organizing principles before. And there are, of course, many. Um, and why, why is 80-20 for you such a big passion point? Well, you know... It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think that I've been really lucky. I've learned things from, from other players and businessmen, etc. I don't think that that many uh, people are actually implementing strategy in their own lives. You know, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about people and change and getting better at things because I think, you know, the greater good um, benefits if, if, if someone – grows a business, if someone's got a, a bit of knowledge to share, you know, I, I always drink in that kind of information from people because, you know, they've got learnings that I haven't had. And, and, and if I can go out there and share that with some, in particular millennials, because they're at such a, an amazingly um, fast-changing, difficult time of their lives and of, of the evolution of, of change on the world. I mean, the digital transformation has, has made the world just, just tick along so much quicker. I mean, you know, here we are talking on a podcast that didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, uh, one, as a, as a marketing uh, medium and, and, and two, as a, as, a, as a listening medium, you know, there was traditional radio and cars. So look how quickly that's transformed and is transforming. So I like the fact that if people understand a principle, a universal principle, and can use it to change, you know, maybe that's part of my little uptick in, in, in changing for good. I also like it is that it works. Um, you know, I could I could say to you, uh, you know, there's a there's a new diet on on um, on the, the scene or on the circuit. It's really really good, and you may implement it or not. Now, the people who if if it is you know like a like a Tim Noakes understanding banting etc. If it if it is a principle that works, you stick to it. You lose weight. You're happier etc. So you you know somebody contributed to an outcome for you. For me in business. This principle is outstanding because it allows me to to look at a at a, at a from a top down point of view at a business, understand the levers which make the biggest difference, and then actually affect them. You know, I mean, the world's a funny place. I might just be a, a an ex rugby player who is a little bit curious, but I might be able to get ahead because I can implement a strategy. You know, as opposed to hoping something's going to. Uh, change just because I'm involved. You know, hope's not a great strategy for me. So the why for me is because I've seen it work. I think it can affect a lot of people. Um, and I think it's something that, that will work for a long, long time. 
I think uh, I love the point that you landed on there about the millennials. And the one thing that um, I would wholeheartedly agree on is that millennials are very hungry, right? So if you tell them, if you start talking to them about like the 80-20 principle, it's the kind of thing that Bob Skidsnet's telling me something that can really 80 times the results that I'm currently getting, whether I want to work for myself or whether I want to be a professional sportsman or however I want to pursue mastery or excellence in my own life. Um, And I think that's a great springboard into... Um, implementation because I, is is hunger the difference between those who apply knowledge like eighty twenty principle uh, versus those who don't? I mean, what's the point of departure then? And, and in your experience, having done talks all around the world now about the eighty twenty principle, and obviously being part of the Knife Capital Investment Group, looking at high growth startups and so forth, what's the difference? Where does the where does the rubber really hit the road from an implementation perspective? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, I think it's a great question, you know, like, um, and I would say, look, hard work and hunger is definitely a part of it. The good news for the, for the people who aren't necessarily that keen to work that hard is that it's not all of it. Because if you, if you understand, you know, the 80-20 principle in, 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 in its entirety, Hard, just working hard, and I've worked with people like this, and to be honest, they're the first people that I would chuck out of the business, is that hard work without knowledge or, or, or analysis or thinking or sort of strategic intent is a terrible taskmaster. You know, just to work 22 hours a day because being in front, in front of your computer typing out emails makes you feel good is the worst possible thing you could do. You know, what I, what I believe in is I believe in genuinely thinking about the problem, genuinely accessing uh, the data that you need to show you which levers make the biggest change, and then gen- genuinely implementing those changes. You know, and, and think about the millennials now. You know, you, you couldn't be, 20 years ago, half the jobs that these guys are applying for now didn't even exist. You, you couldn't be a coding engineer. You know, you couldn't be a social media expert. You shouldn't be a social media manager in a business. You know, you couldn't be an artificial intelligence um, analyst. You couldn't be an engineer with, with, with uh, some of the skills that have come out in the digital cryptocurrencies. Um, I, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly fast-changing world. Now, imagine if they'd gone and said, okay, well, I definitely have to have a traditional degree first um, and, and done 
you know, seven, eight years of an, of an engineering specialization and then worked out that they actually wanted to work in something that was very different and, and you know, cryptocurrency or um, exchange-traded funds or whatever it is, is the area that they want to be in. They've got to unlearn a lot and then relearn a lot. And, and what I want is I want people to start to understand where they want to make a big difference and then study how to get into that area. You know, these days, I mean, the jobs are changing so fast you know, you've got a tremendously successful podcast. Now, you know that there are going to be levers out there which make it more successful. If you went and put um, adverts on the side of street pole lamps in an area that had no digital connection whatsoever or internet connection whatsoever, do you think you're going to pick up a new customer? No. So, so I think it's a combination of, of work hard, definitely, but work smart, and, and, and the new world rewards that, you know. I, I don't say you've got to sit there and be lazy and put your feet up, but I do think, I mean, Abraham Lincoln spoke about it, you know, 250 years ago. He said, if I've got six hours to, to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend five hours sharpening my axe. And I love that because every single millennium should think exactly the same. You know, you're going to apply for, for a, a role or a, a contribution to the world for the rest of your life are you thinking about it five times more than what, how you're actually preparing just for the interview and finding out what you want to do, discovering your why, you know, chasing your passion, all those kind of things, and then deciding to go into a, into a space where you can actually make the difference? I hope you are, because if you're not, you're going to get stuck in something you don't want to do. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I mean, I think following, I mean, let's talk about passion. I mean, passion is, well, rugby is a big passion, obviously, here in South Africa. Um, and of course, you'll know that better than most people. Um, but <laughs> but let's talk about passion, right? Um, how I mean, do you believe in it as being a critical success factor to um, org- well, enabling organizational performance or more importantly, even if you're talking about passion in the, in the entrepreneur space, from a personal perspective, um, you know, how important is it? Because I've had a few conversations with various entrepreneurs and so forth. And there's, there's kind of like two schools of thought. There's the kind of, there's the guys that feel like it's a really big game changer. And then there are others who think that it's complete BS. Where do you stand on that? No, look, I believe in passion. I, I, I believe very, very smartly, um, uh, well, very, very clearly in passion. You know, I believe, I mean, there's a great quote my dad used to, used to um, talk from years ago. He'd say, passion is the key to life and passion is the clue. And passion is my drum and fife and any God will do. And basically he was saying, it doesn't matter where you come from, what you do. As long as you're passionate about what you're doing, that's going to lead to the hard work. That's going to lead to the data analysis that I was talking about. That's going to lead to you wanting to get better, that's going to lead to your success eventually. I, I believe in passion. And, and you know what? People who say they're not passionate about something are talking shit anyway because they are passionate about it. It's either not cool to show that you're passionate about it um, or that the passion that they do have is just not outwardly shown. I mean, I had a meeting two, probably two weeks ago now no, maybe a bit more, three weeks ago, with a guy, one of the founding members of, of the King Group, which were the guys um, who launched Candy Crush. So a unicorn company. I've got a co-investment with them. Um, and they, they are Sweden's biggest sort of poster boys for, um, for, for new age um, and, and, and tech 
based sort of investment companies. Okay, they've got a, a, an investment arm called Sweet Capital, and this guy is, I mean, you know, very Scandinavian, very very smart, multiple degrees, um, and actually very passionate about what he does. But when we started to talk about um, spirit and culture in the company, he was so anti telling people what to do. He wanted the culture to come from the CEO of the business. And I stood back and I, and, and I, I was in awe of his, the way he thought about it because he was like, you know, I like this company, but I'm not going to go in there and tell them to get together and let's have a getaway and write a big strategy document up. He said, that should come from the passion that's already within. I'll feed it once we see it bubbling over in the people. Now, if you think about your question, some people think passion in itself is BS. And in a way, it could have been taken that that's what he was saying. He wasn't. What he was saying was that sort of outwardly pushed passion into a company or culture or anything like that is complete BS. But if it bubbles over from the inside, we can embrace it and work with it. And I love that. You know, it was a nice mix between how I feel about this kind of thing and how a guy who was implementing it on a day-to-day basis in a billion uh, krona, billion dollar uh, company, which is built out of a startup on a day-to-day basis. Sweet, Bob. Listen, I just want to talk about um, the implementation side of things. So, you know, one of the great stories of performance period is the Sky Cycling team. I don't know if you follow them. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, the guy, I forget the guy who coaches the team now, feel free to jump in, but basically so Clive something or whatever. Anyway, but basically they, they've adopted a marginal gain strategy, meaning that all the 1%, if you improve the 1% collectively over time will lead to a massive uplift in performance. So you've got the marginal gain strategy, which I think I want to talk to you as a springboard into applying the 80-20 principle in your own business, right? So if you take um, my business or your business or any business, if you really want to create that upswing or that exponential step change in your business, like where does it, where does one start? I mean, does, is it about, I'm very cognizant of giving advice about fundamentally changing the whole machine of a business. Do you know what I'm saying? And you got to take, you got to also like business isn't that easy to pivot unless you're a startup. <laughs> so, um, so for yeah. like, you know, where, what's the kind of, congruent approach or the best approach for guys to apply uh, performance improvement strategies in their business like the 80-20 or the marginal gains approach? Well, look, I think they can be done in tandem. I mean, if you think about um, the law of marginal gains, you still have to do the analysis about what you're trying to improve. You know, so the 80-20 principle is exactly the same. I mean, we talk about top-down and bottom-up, 80-20. So you look at a business that sells 15 products, okay? It's very easy to turn around and say which products sell the most, all right, and which products sell the least, and then which products are most profitable and which products are least profitable. And then, you know, by, by just studying that, that those simple little um, – sort of levers, you understand where the nexus is for that business to sell the most products at the most profit for the longest time. Now, if you're on the Sky Cycling team, one of the things that they worked on, and and, um, you're right, I've actually forgotten the guy's name now as well. I think it's Dave. uh, I'll see if I can call it up on my computer. But um, 
he worked with with this guy's cycling team. And look, you know, caveat now that they're under a bit of investigation, but maybe one of the, the marginal gains is how, how to better eat or, or better nutritionally affect the the, um, the cyclists. You know, let's not go into the, the other things that they uh, um, that they potentially could have done. Uh, Dave Allred, maybe. No. Anyway. Um, Dave one Bra- of the things that the Say again? Dave Brailsford. That's exactly right, Brailsford. Well done. I think Dave Allred is a, is a kicking coach. He worked with Johnny Wilkinson, but he uses the same sort of methodology. Um, one of the things that they have to do is they've got to cut down wind resistance while you're cycling. Okay? So on a, on a week-by-week basis, they were improving the aerodynamic nature of the suit, the shoes, the bicycle, the helmet, um, and, and the seating position of the cyclists. Now, you don't have to change a lot to improve by 1%. We know that. You've got to change a hell of a lot to improve by 20% overnight. But if you can add 1% through potentially you know, redesigning the, the helmet, and remember... Um, Brailsford and his team put hundreds of millions of pounds into the, the research around this. So you as a cyclist don't have to do too much. All you've got to do is put a different helmet on. So you don't derail the cycling team by 1%. In the same instance, if you've done your research right and the 80-20 principle, you worked out which 20% of your customers are most profitable, you know, the, the, the easiest thing you can potentially do is call less of your bottom 20% customers and call more of your top 20% customers. You've probably got a 1% gain in, in just that small um, tweak. But if you do that over a course of six months or eight months, you'll find that you're servicing the top 20% much better and probably the bottom 20% much worse. But you know, in the words of David Ogilvy, sometimes it's better to fire a client gently than work with them forever because both of you will go on to greater things. You know, he, I mean, he believed that firing clients would help him service his better clients better and more profitably. So I, I definitely think they are, they are things that you can do in tandem. And like I said, I mean, look, I've, I've, I've done speeches on the law of marginal gains because I believe that, that, that teams can... Um, improve significantly over a short period of time by improving incrementally as opposed to trying to have, like you said, a big transformational change. You know, you can be the start, well, the well-funded startup that pivots, but, you know, are, are we in that, are we all in that kind of business? I'm not sure that we are. Yeah, absolutely not. Funny enough, just on a sidebar, I actually uh, ran into Chris Froome uh, two days ago at Tash's. <laughs> he was oh, wow, okay. Those weird moments where you're like looking at him, like, isn't that? And then, like, could you double taking, you know? Um, and then he clocked. I'm sure you spent a lot of time in South Africa. I think he was Kenyan born, wasn't he? Yeah, something like that. But it was embarrassing for me because he saw me double taking at him and he kept, he gave me like the steely eye. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, anyway, so um, just a couple more questions, uh, Bob. I'm just cognizant of time. Um, so if there was one thing, like for our listeners out there right now, you want to create a 10 X improvements on their business, whether that's in sales, whether that's in talent maintenance, retention or what have you. Um, what is the one starting point, I guess, or if there was one 
absolute truth when it comes to applying improvements in a business. What is that? And what is your advice around that? Look, Matt, I mean, it's a great question. You know, like uh, there's a number of things that are important in business. You know, some, some things that are important to some people are not important to others. You know, longevity is tremendous if you're in a long-term uh, recurring revenue business like an insurance business or something like that. You know, um, is, my, is my business and my customer service going to be around for a long time? Um, we've seen now with the metrics that they use to, to rate um, businesses for big exits, you know, is it um, recurring uh, customers? Is it cost of customer acquisition? Is it average revenue per user? You know, all those kind of things. And, and I think, to be honest, it, I would say the key to all of this is to use a methodology, you know, whether it's AD20 principle or another one, the, the key is to get very quickly an idea of what the levers are for the business that you're looking at. You know, um, I would say that some of the great businesses that have gone out of, um, or not necessarily gone out of business, but, but have fallen out of favor, have been the ones that haven't seen the change coming. You know, um, whether it's the move to digital from, from um, radio stations or the move to digital photography by greats like, like Kodak, et cetera, and, and, and Polaroid. I mean, we've, we've seen businesses fall on their face because of changing market conditions. For me, it's actually about, as, as a leader in, in a business, you need to understand what are the big factors. Now, a lot of businesses these days have got, have got factors that are easy for everyone to see. You know, how many users you've got looking at a screen is, is an easy measurement tool for, you know, the, the big five in, in terms of tech businesses because, you know, that's what moves their dial. Um, however, in, in, in other businesses like auto manufacturers at the moment, are they aware of, you know, whether um, electric motors are, are going to move in, in um, or are going to take over just the way that, that you know, normal combustion motors have in the past, and, and do they have a fail-safe plan? So I, I would say, I would say a, a deep understanding is the number one thing. Um, and that understanding, member can be cultivated over time. You, expertise can be bought in. Um, and I, I, that's what fascinates me about business, different kinds of business. You know, we're, we're always looking at businesses. And that's actually going back to what we started talking about. I think millennials are in trouble because they don't know enough about their own needs and their own lives, and they haven't studied it and studied the future. And I think that that pertains to businesses as well. Are we looking at the right things? You know, um, Clem Sunter talks about the fox and the hedgehog and the different style of, of thinking. The fox can see change coming, etc. The hedgehog might hunker down a little bit. Like, like, are we seeing big flags around the world, political strife, um, you know, did, did the, the, the South African people in charge of, of maintaining, you know, efficient management of the water supply in Cape Town, did they see this huge catastrophe coming? You know, and if they did, why did they not change things earlier? So, so it's got to be, um, it's got to be for me, understanding is the number one thing. And working hard at that understanding so that we can, um, you can then change the business with the levers that you pick out. Uh, it's a bit of a wishy-washy roundabout answer because I'm trying to encapsulate um, what we've been talking about. But I, I wouldn't go into a business, any business, 
un, until I knew what the biggest factors would be. You know, in a, in a property business, it might be the cost of your debt. It might be the cost of your money. Um, in, a, in, a, in a startup business, it might be the quality of your engineers. You know, and how can you factor that in? So, so I, think, I think it's got to be a combination, but it all starts with your deep understanding of what that business is and what you're trying to do with it. Totally, man. I, I just can't agree with you more. Um, I just want to touch on the thing about the water crisis in Cape Town. So um, I've actually got sent a picture of a Cape Times front cover um, a newspaper article, and the title goes, City Will Run Out of Water in 17 Years. And do you want to know the year? It was 1990. <laughs> no so, worries, really. Yeah, dude, I'll send it to you um, to have a look at. Uh, it's written by Barry Streak. It's legit. Um, yeah, I'd love you to send Thank you. Yeah, well, but I mean, like, it's just crazy, man. You know, like, people don't look at the future enough, you know. Um, and because, well, they, you know, I mean, I want to, I, I certainly don't want to say that, you know, as soon as you think you're the smartest guy in the, in the room, you're definitely not. Um, and, and I know that I, li- I like being the dumbest guy in the room because then, you know, you've got the most to learn. But what I have seen with business and with, with friends of mine getting into business and, and, and even some of my own actions, et cetera, is that common sense is not all that common. So if we can just find one thing and act with a little bit of common sense, we're already in the top 20% of the achievers. You know, then we've got to work out how to achieve from there. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of um, the future and common sense, if you could get into a time machine and go back to you when you were 20, what one piece of advice about life or business would you give yourself and why? Well, only one. Um, I, would, I, would, uh, I would hope I would get more than that, but yes. I think what I would do is I would, I would have changed uh, how I went about my playing career. Okay. And I would have tried, I would have tried to finish um, up at Stellenbosch and then go to an Oxford or a Cambridge for an international experience in a, in a um, university environment using rugby as the conduit first so that I could come back. All the things that I'm doing now, I've got my own personal network and I work hard on it, but I would have loved that experience and I think it would have given me a leg up in terms of some of the things I've, I'm doing in business. So a couple of my colleagues have, have done it and, and it's served them very well. You know, everything else, the goods, the bads, I've, I've had some, you know, personal disasters, some business disasters, but I've always learned from them. So I'm glad they're part of my life. I wouldn't want to give away any of the bad stuff because I, I think that's where I learned a lot of my lessons. Um, I just would have maybe wanted to, to study at a, at a, you know, an Oxford or a Cambridge or a Harvard or a Stanford or something that had a university rugby program that I could have used to get in and spend at least a year in a, in a beautiful institution like that. Education is, is something that's very dear to me. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, it's I, I just about the tough times. I mean, people seem to think like, when, especially when they read the front cover of Entrepreneur Magazine and other magazines like that, they read the titles and go, oh, it must be really easy to start a business and become a billionaire, right? But I mean, like if that was, then everyone must just quit their jobs right now listening to me and you, and then we'll become billionaires in six months. Congratulations, the Matt Brown Show has done its job. But in reality... <laughs> But in reality, like it's hard to stand in the fire of becoming your best self. 
Do you know what I mean? And most people spend so much of their lives dodging the flames. They don't want the hard times because they just want summer for some reason. But like in reality, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Like life's comprised of four seasons, right? Some autumn, winter, spring. And at some point, regardless of how successful that business is, and you'll know investing in all of these other businesses as part of knife capital, is that every business has a winter. Do you know what I mean? And it's necessary to go through that winter so that you can learn and reintegrate those learnings both in your business, but also into you as an individual. Absolutely. And I think that's well said, you know, and, and, and that's part of the reason why I've gone back and written this course, you know, one, just to be published and, and be out there and two, for, for millennials who are taking on, you know, they're going to be taking on some serious change and some serious obstacles. You know, if they want to earn more and embrace change and, you know, work less, have more fun, have stability and achieve success, there's, there's, there's a, a number of things they need to do. And, and, and a lot of that in, includes going through those, all four of those seasons, like you said, in your life and in your business, you know, um, winter is coming. Winter is always coming in, in business. So you need to be prepared. And, and I, and I love that, you know, it's business is not easy. It's hard. It's bloody hard. Mm. Um, and that's why I take my hat off to all of our parents who've, who've earned money and, and put us through, schools and, and got us out there because, uh, you know, they've lived a, a difficult life. So if you, if you can prepare for that, just because it's hard doesn't mean it can't be fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, if you're not having fun, then it's not worth doing, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's hard to get that balance right though at some times, but you must just keep pers- persevering. That's the only thing I'd, you know, I'd say to anyone listening. Uh, Bob, last question for you, mate. Um, why do you do what you do? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Matt, I'm really lucky. I've got I've got four little kids um, and a loving wife. I, I love sort of family time. Um, I love my time with them. And I'm an enthusiastic, curious person. So the businesses I'm in are literally there because I want to see if I can make a success of them and, and change them and and you know use the, the monies that, that I, I make out of them to to live a, an interesting and, and fun life. You know, I've I've made my peace with the fact that 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 work is part of life and, and I'm more than happy to, to enjoy work as well. So I, I am, I'm, I'm incredibly happy to do what I do and that's why I do it. I've, I've got a, a very good work-life balance um, and, and I really enjoy the work side of work. You know, I'm not always trying to scarve off and, and head off on a holiday and do nothing because the businesses we're invested in, I believe in, you know, and I believe in the people, I believe in the opportunities, I believe in, in looking for new ones, I believe in selling some at the right time. I believe in buying others at the right time, and and um, I think I've I found my niche. So I'm I'm excited to do this, and I just want other people to know that and and to learn that and to do that as well. Bob Skinstad, thanks so much for your time uh, today in the hot seats on the Map Round Show. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor to get to know you and to tell a little bit about your story. That's so kind of you, Matt. Thanks very much, and good luck going forward. Much appreciated. Map Round. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown, Matt Brown, Matt Brown Show. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.